0: Welcome to Game Breaking Feature, the podcast where we analyze and discuss common elements of modern video game design and development. My name is Steven Bennett, and in this episode, we'll be talking about leveling up. RPG progression systems have popped up in almost every genre, from first-person shooters to hack-and-slash brawlers, from real-time strategy games, and even to digital card games. But is it the best way to represent growth? To help me answer this question and many more is a man who's hit the level cap in real life and is now just grinding for better gear, my good friend Jared Bruner. Jared! How you doing, man? I'm I'm only 31. Steve, is, is that it? Is that, is that if cap. I hit my
1: if I hit my stride here? It's it's all downhill from here. I, I, I mean, I thought 30 was it, but then you know I get I, I did get to 31, and I, well, I, 30, I have to Admit it does feel the, uh, a little soft like cap. it's I'm I'm in the end game, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to uh, just figure out where the what the uh, end game is supposed to
0: be. That's, I mean, that's, you just described adult life. No one knows. We're all, we're all just floundering out here, I feel like.
1: Well, I mean, I hear there's some good raids. So, um, I'm holding out. We got to, I got to get my <laughs> item level up. Um, and, I, I would like, some... I would like to sell a few more things on the auction house and,
0: and get a little bit more gold. <laughs> I don't know. I think I've <laughs> how long, lost the How long can we, I know. How long can we keep this up? <laughs> it's, it's already gone. Not too long. I'm, I'm, I'm and, and I'm feeling sick. So I'm having a hard time keeping up too. But, uh, I'm, I'm going to power through because we have a great topic and uh, honestly, one of my favorite people to talk about it with. We have the founder of I Need Diverse Games and the host on Spawn on Me podcast. That's a weird way to say it. The host, a <laughs> host on the Spawn on Me podcast. It's Tanya DePass. Tanya, I apologize for my my horrible introduction of you, but but thank you so much for joining us. Did I mention I'm sick?
2: Yes, it's okay because I was sitting there laughing and I was trying really hard not to start cackling into the mic but also just break in because I'm sitting here (laughs) thinking I'm older than both of you. Like, am I, am I DLC now? (laughs)
1: see you've already yeah you've already dipped into the expansion with the better stuff like that's where the that's where the real game
2: starts yeah oh so i'm I'm an expansion pack to my own life something like that
0: okay Uh, oh my god the the metaphor is getting so muddy at this point it is but you know what we're gamers you know we
2: can't do anything unless we run it into the ground
0: (laughs) well tanya welcome back to the show how have you been
2: uh pretty pretty busy um i'm actually at home it's amazing My cat remembers who I am. What? I know, right? You've
1: been traveling a lot lately.
2: Yeah, I don't think I saw my own bed for most of March and April 2018.
1: That's good. I mean, it's good to be busy.
2: It's good to be busy, but I want people, like, at a certain point, I just really want to be at home. Like, I want my stuff, my bed.
1: Oh, I hear you. That that first shower when you get back home is, like probably the best shower you've ever
2: had. oh my god like you don't care what's in the fridge you just like you hope there's a beer or if you don't drink like there's some cold water soda whatever you choose to imbibe you're just like it's out of my house
0: well and and we actually got a chance to uh to meet you out in uh san francisco at uh gdc this year and uh i we saw you. You were you were uh, running all over the place. You you might be the busiest human being <laughs> I know. How how do you have the energy? Where does it come from, Tanya? Coffee. Okay. Coffee. <laughs> Short and sweet. Love it. Um,
2: coffee because I ever since I started kind of working for myself, I don't sleep like a normal human anymore. That that myth of seven to eight hours a night. I don't know who told that lie. Um, <laughs> it's not me. That's for sure. Uh, But it's usually coffee and a lot of times even if I'm feeling a little run down before I get to an event when I get there and get in that moment and I have to be on and not the fake persona but the I'm doing business I am at the venue I'm at the event version of on it gives me a little more energy but usually by like dinner time I'm like I want to sit down with people I like have a drink, have good food and not talk to anyone for like an hour.
1: I mean, that's a hard thing. That's a, they don't no one tells you that about like running your own organization or business. It's like, yeah, be your own boss, but also that means that you're
0: never away from your boss, so you're constantly working.
2: <laughs> yep, there is no such thing as an off day.
0: And how did uh how did GDC go for you? How how did your talks go?
2: Um it seemed to go well. I was um part of two things. I was part of the Microtoxer Richard LaMachand always puts on at GDC. So there's a um, oh, while, wow, there's 10 of us. We each get five minutes, so many seconds. And that went well. I was terrified, but I I did it. I was the last one to go up. And the roundtable that Rebecca, Cohen Palacios, and I um, did last year, they accepted it again this year. And we had two days. So we broke it up into two sessions. And they went well. And all the feedback we've gotten seems to be really good. Um. With the micro talks, there's the usual person who didn't like the format. They didn't like particular talk, but that's to be expected. The GDC feedback is always interesting to me because I've that's the first time as a speaker I've gotten that feedback sent directly to me, and I don't yeah, know if, I, I
1: wasn't sure if that was something that organizations or events like that normally do. I mean, it seems useful to a certain degree.
2: Um, it's useful, but it can also be disheartening depending on where you are when that feedback comes in. Oh yeah. Um. Indeed. Because I was actually kind of scared to look at it, and it sounds weird, but for those that don't know me, I'm actually kind of a, a little ball of anxiety. And you know, when you're not having the best day, either emotionally, mental health-wise, or just you're super busy, and you want to look, but you don't want to look, but it was all actually really good feedback, and it made me super happy, so I worried for nothing.
0: Well, nice. Congratulations. And actually, uh, so Jared and I were able to get to the second day of the roundtable, where you were talking about uh, mental health and self care, uh, wh- why why is that topic uh, important for you, Tanya? I mean, I guess anxiety is probably a, a part of your <laughs> a, a part of your job description, but is, does it go beyond that for you?
2: Um, it does because I I feel like a lot of times we don't take care of ourselves, and you know, in the gaming industry, but in other areas where people will take care of everyone else but themselves, or we see the people that push and push and push and we see you know crunch culture is part of that as well where people don't get a chance to to enjoy themselves they don't get a chance to you know like have a good work-life balance as much as i hate the phrase after working in corporate for so long it's important because if you are not at your best and you're not taking care of yourself you can't put your best self forward whatever you're working on be it personal projects be it going to a job being working on a game whatever you're doing if you are not taking care of yourself especially if there's not anyone to help take anyone there to take care of you you have to advocate for yourself and go you know what today is not a good day i'm gonna lay in bed and watch movies all day because this is what i need to recharge and i think a lot of people even need permission and i know that sounds strange but a lot of us either need the okay or no need to know someone else feels the same way and they're going through it and they give themselves permission to take a day off to go have coffee with a friend to do whatever they need to do to recharge and take care of themselves so they can come back to whatever their work is, renewed and feeling better about it.
1: Yeah, I've, I have do a lot of freelance work and contract work. Uh, I've also worked for a lot of startups and, and smaller companies. And it, for the most part, it's been really positive. But um, one of the red flags when I'm ca- kind of shopping around for the, my next gig is when I hear or they, what they put up front is, we're, all, we're a big family here. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. No, I actually, I, I don't want, I don't want a, a work family, you know, it's like, it's fine to have friends at work and to socialize, but I have my own family to worry about and I'd I like to keep those separate.
2: Yeah. And that's, that's a red flag for me because I had that actually when I worked in higher ed and it, it just never was a good thing. Cause then it, like most families, if you squabble, you can work through it when you squabble with your boss. It's a whole different thing.
1: Yeah, it's. And it's it's exhausting, too. It's it's like I don't I don't want to I don't want to be that person here. I don't want to be I'm not the same person at work as I am necessarily at home. So like let's let's just keep that separate. And often it means, hey, like we expect you to stay late because everybody else is, too. So just keep working.
0: Yeah. And I you know, I thought the the round table was really good, at least for myself, because this this podcast is one of the first things that I've ever done that's sort of public facing mm-hmm. i guess and we we haven't got to you know we haven't we haven't grown like super huge yet we have a you know uh, a tight knit and and very respectful very nice community built so far um but i sort of start to occasionally worry about those things that happen once you know a, a product starts to grow and you become a little bit more of a a public figure, so it was it was nice to sit at that roundtable and hear that other people had similar concerns and hear how people deal with uh, those issues when they come up. You know how to how to like disconnect from internet and social media culture and all those kinds of things and and get back to what's important. So yeah, that, w- that was really cool. Do you do you prefer doing the the roundtable format or do you prefer the auditorium setting? Or, you know, do you have a reason for preferring one over the other?
2: Well, the roundtable worked out well. The only drawback is that, you know, unlike everything else at GDC, those things are not recorded. But on the other hand, the topics we were going into, people probably wouldn't have felt comfortable having those discussions in a space that was um, recorded. Because people were very raw. They were very open. They were very honest. Mm-hmm. And um, I've sat on a on a panel at PAX that uh, Brian LaBurge and a good friend of mine, Ashley Biancuzo puts together every year about mental health and anxiety and gamers and you know people always ask oh was it recorded was it recorded and you know consider some stuff we talk about as panelists but also what the audience chooses to share it couldn't be the same thing if um, if it was recorded or there are cameras or even someone was live tweeting it or sharing it so on the one hand it's good because it gives people more uh, comfort But on the other, it's also, um, you don't have
1: it archived.
2: You don't have it archived. And I I saw people taking notes and that was nice, but it's also, just one of those things where it's like, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable even as a participant being that open if it was, um, if it was recorded in some way.
0: Now, do you feel like, um, do you feel like one format does more good than the other, that might be a difficult question to answer, but um, just from like your perspective, do you, I, I, you know, being someone who maybe has seen the feedback from both formats now, did was there one that really seemed to reach people more?
2: Um, well, I think with the roundtables, and I would hope even with the talk, you go and sit in a bigger auditorium setting at GDC or other places, you've actually read the description, and you know what you're coming in for. Um, I think for what we were talking about for the roundtables, because I think the roundtables, at least at GDC, are designed to be more about uh, doing the business of whatever your uh, special interest group is, whatever it is that you are doing versus a let's let me as an expert give you this information from what I've learned and what I've shared. It's more of a collaborative moment. So I think for the roundtable format, those topics fit. And then for the, the talks or the panels that people are on at GDC, I think if it's there's always a chance for Q&A, it's always a chance for discussion. But I think they're both, they're they're suited to where they are held, if that makes sense.
0: Now, moving, moving on from GDC, you have a, uh, you've got a book coming out. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, the book is called Game Devs and Others, Tales from the Margins. And it's coming out soon, right?
2: Yeah, June 11th. And before we actually talk about the book, I did want to say thank you again for the bag you gave me because you almost made me cry because oh. um, it was very <laughs> sweet. I didn't expect it. And it was very, very awesome considering I'd been on the show once and that was our first time meeting in person. So I wanted to thank you again for the awesome bag. Mm, of course. Well,
0: you're, you're very welcome. And, and, and thank you. I mean, the the first year of, of us putting this show together was uh It's it's been a uh, a fantastic experience for me, and and you know your participation and and being so generous with your time, and I mean and so many of our other guests being so generous with their time has has honestly meant a lot to me and is a big reason why I continue to do this show. So you know it was it, I mean believe it when I say it was it was a very small token of my appreciation for uh, for what you've done to help grow this show.
2: Well, thank you so much. I'm I'm glad you could do that, and and keep going with the show.
0: Tell us about the book. What's uh, what's the book about? How did you get in, How did you get the uh, the idea started for the book?
2: Um, so this is a I don't know how many people have heard the story from me, um, and so it kind of goes back a little bit. Um, there was a book called Breaking the Glass Level Cap: Women in, in Game Development that Jennifer Hepler edited for CRC Press. I got a review copy of the book, and and I've talked to Jennifer before, and I was a fan of hers anyway. Because she wrote on the Dragon Age series, and you all know I'm a big Dragon Age nerd. Um, what? Yeah, I know it's a shock. <laughs> Who would have imagined? Um, and so I'd all like I'd had a chance to to get to know Jennifer and and, and have her on Fresh Out Tokens when it was still running, and then she messaged me going, "Hey, um, here's something I want to ask you. If you're interested, cool. If not, can you recommend someone?" And so she was like, "You know this the the publishers of that book reached out and they said are you interested in doing a, a follow up she's like well the logical follow up would be talking about marginalized people and i'm not that marginalized and would you be interested in editing this book and after i got done running around the living room because someone i greatly admire asked me to do a project i was like yes yes i would even though i'd never done this before <laughs> had no clue how to edit a book how to even write the pitch for the book but she worked with me um, we worked with CRC press to get the pitch in and they accepted it. We set our timeline. I put out a call for papers and got some really good things. Some things I hated to turn away, but they just weren't a, a quite quite the fit for the tone of the book we we're going for. Mm. And we've got 22. I, I had to do some quick mental math. Um, 22 <laughs> stories. Carry the one. Right. I was just like, how many do we have in there? Because I know how many chapters there are in the book. It's either 21 or 22 um, fabulous essays from folks ranging from Shanae Bryant, who was over at Take Two, who's been at Capcom, uh, to Sharif has an essay in the book. Um, we have Maurice Broaddus, who is on the kind of outside of gaming, but he's been doing consulting work. He actually consulted on Watch Dogs, too. Um, so we've got a lot of industry people. Stephen Spohn of Able Gamers has a piece in there. and Very nice. It's all people in some marginalization and maybe across multiple marginalizations telling their story of being in the industry or adjacent to it. Cause not everyone in the book is directly in the industry, but you know, being a marginalized person impacts everything you do. And especially with gaming and the fact that gaming's still a majority white dude industry. And some people get into that. Some we have one that's almost like a, a fictionalization, but still a very powerful and moving piece.
1: That's awesome! I'm, I'm really looking forward to reading it. I have it uh, have it here on pre-order, so I'm excited. Yay! Is this your first
2: published book um, that I have edited? Yes, I have, my writing has appeared in many things, but this is the first thing where I am the primary person, the editor, and and my name's on the cover.
0: That sounds super exciting. So
1: it's someday exciting. I hope to have something interesting <laughs> yeah. to write a book about.
2: <laughs> well, you know, I just I I gathered everyone's stories and and got them in in a in in shape and then we had copy editing so I cannot take full credit it's the people who were willing to to take a chance on me and share their stories and for Jennifer and CRC Press to to take a chance on someone who's not really known in publishing to have this project, and the book will be in hands July 11th. Well, I, I think oh, I'm think i sorry, June than... 11th. Oh my god, I almost <laughs> gave myself <every> an <laughs> extra month. Uh,
1: I think you have earned that trust from those people, and that that's yeah. that's what's important there. And giving them this uh, outlet is going to be uh, important, I think, for all of their work.
2: I hope so. I'm a, I'm a little terrified, because you never know how people react to things. Um, there's been a lot of excitement about it, but you don't know. And I've even thrown out that, hey, if you want a review copy... Or review, review PDF. Let me know, and no bites yet. So um, hoping people are willing to review it, but it is kind of on the. It looks more on the academic side, so I don't know how how much that will get nibbles on the usual review crowd.
0: Well, I'm 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 still just I'm going to tell people that I know published author time to pass. <laughs> 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 So for, for the listeners, again, when is it available and where where will people be able to find it or where can they pre-order it now?
2: Um, so my pinned tweet at CypherTier on Twitter has all the links, but you can pre-order either from Amazon.com or the publisher CRC Press. Um, and I even have a link to a little press kit I put together for the book at my pinned tweet. Um, the release date in the email I got is June 11th. I think Amazon may have the 13th still. Um, And the cover art is by Alex Croft. I'm super, super happy with it. Um, And Alex did that, you know, like with little time to to turn it around to the publisher. So, you know, uh, it just makes me really happy. And probably when I get the book in my hand, I will cry. Like the physical (laughs) book itself. But June 11th, it'll be out. I will be at E3, so I don't get to touch the book myself. Until I get home, unless I happen to get my copies before I leave for E3. So.
0: Well, Jared, you're near there, right? I am near there. Yeah, you should get your you should get your signed. <laughs> it sounds like a great idea to me. <laughs> That'd be dope. <laughs> oh my
2: god, I, I know, know E3 I am, is busy <laughs> for
1: people, so we'll have to. Play play here.
2: Yeah, I will. I will be in L. A. for um for a Wizards of the Coast event June 1st to 3rd, and then I'll be back for E3. Right
0: on. See, now that sounds that sounds more exciting than E3.
2: <laughs> and it probably won't be as stressful.
0: Are you excited for anything that's going to be announced? Or are you hopeful for anything that hasn't been announced yet at E3?
2: Um, I'm really excited for Cyberpunk 2077. Um, I'm hoping we get to see... Coincidentally, Assassin's that's going
0: to be the year that it finally comes out.
2: <laughs> well, that and Kingdom if Hearts lucky. 3 and Shenmue and Final Fantasy seven Remake at this rate. Um, yes, I'm being facetious. Because I'm very <laughs> tired of games being announced and not coming out for like 5 to 10 years. I hope we get to see some of the Division 2... And there have been rumblings from a friend of mine who's way more connected on the media side than I am, that there's rumors of a Dragon Age title being announced at EA Play, mm. and Whoop. and if it, that happens, you all will hear me scream.
0: <laughs> you'll be the one. You'll be the one person <laughs> screaming in the audience.
2: Oh yeah. Well, you know, EA Play <laughs> <They're> like, is
0: <laughs> that's that's Tanya. I know it's
2: her. <laughs> well, apparently last year there was someone running up and down the aisles at E3 during the, one of the announcements, and so <laughs> I was like, it's an industry like,
0: event for professionals. Well, well, exactly. you got to one up that person now.
2: <laughs> oh no, Khalif would never talk to me again. <laughs> He'd be like, you can't come anywhere else with us now.
0: Well, all of all of those games you're excited for are uh, here's here's me awkwardly transitioning into our RPG discussion. <laughs> I'm, I I'm like you- trying to tip trying to tiptoe into it, but we've established I'm terrible at at segues. <laughs> Steve, you know uh, what many of those games probably have in common? What's that, Jared? Leveling up. Whoa! <laughs> ah. See? Well, Jared, can you, uh, <laughs> can, you, can you enlighten us on the, the history of, of leveling up in video games while we're talking about it out of nowhere?
1: Yes, we, we, we can certainly get into that. Uh, one of the first games that featured a leveling up system was called Petit 5 for the Play-Doh mainframe computer. And it's a dungeon crawler developed by Rusty Rutherford in 1975 and he was a member. All, all I hear is all I hear is Rusty Shackleford. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was developed in 1975 while he was a member of the Population and Energy Group at the University of Illinois. And it was one of the like early, early roguelikes. It, many people consider it, like the precursor that inspired Rogue and uh, in other similar games. So you can kind of imagine what the gameplay was like. Uh, you create a character at the beginning with uh, similar stats to like D&D. And then in uh, some of the versions of the game, those stats are randomized. And then as you explore the, mon- uh, the dungeon, killing stuff and collecting treasure, whatever, uh, you get experience points and level up. Pretty Pretty standard, but by then... At that time, it was a really good adaptation of Dungeons and Dragons systems.
0: It's yeah, so you know, oftentimes a lot of the the topics we discuss have roots in D d and here's yet another example of the, you know the the influence that Dungeons and Dragons has had on the video game space. I feel like just like
1: that's the history of gaming is like everything is trying to make video games as close to D experience as possible as far as go anywhere and do anything that you want, type gameplay.
0: In in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, I, I definitely feel like it is right. And it, it's it's funny to me that video games have been around for as long as they've been around, and yet we're still just so tied to the the work that Gary Gygax and and the uh, you know the the team of miniature players did you know back when they created Dungeons and Dragons. Now, Tanya, you're a big D D player, right?
2: Yeah, I've been getting back into it, and and part of that is actually uh, joining the Twitch D and D channel for a show that's going to start next month. I
0: saw you guys were just rolling up characters the other day, correct? Yep. What do you what do you uh, what are you rocking as?
2: Um, well, I can tell you, I'm a paladin, a, a human paladin. So that'll be interesting.
0: Are we keeping it secret? Are we trying not to reveal too much about it?
2: Um, well, I can't reveal what I don't know because I don't actually know like what our is going to throw at us. Um, but, but I'm a human paladin, and for me it's been interesting because I, I actually like to kind of get into the the darker side of, of character play when I do tabletop stuff. Like, I like to be more on the chaotic side. Not not chaotic evil, but like chaotic neutral, or like, I have got my own reasons for doing stuff, but I don't always follow the rules, but I can't quite do that as a paladin. Um, or I have to be a fallen paladin, and that may not work out. Um are you need a also... wild
1: card you just like leroy jenkins like into oh the god dungeon?
0: no no <laughs> i have
2: had characters die that way so uh shout out to my friend uh north roberts who ran almost a three-year campaign it was me him his wife and uh, a friend and i had two characters during that campaign because my first one uh died by dragon because uh he was not as good of a rogue as he thought he was, or at least the dice <laughs> the dice did not let me be as good of a rogue as I thought I was. Um and I failed, and I didn't get out of the way of the dragon in time, and I became a snap.
0: <laughs> do you have any uh do you have any experience with um Well, I mean, maybe Petit Five is reaching a little bit, but do you have any experience with uh Like uh, Beneath Apple Manor or the original Rogue or any of these old roguelikes that that employed some of these RPG elements?
2: Uh, Not some of them because a lot of them came out when I was like two. (laughs) So, um, but I have played things like Baldur's Gate, Jade Empire, a lot of the classic RPGs, both, you know, tabletop and, and video games as well. And it's got the same level system. You. You go kill 20 rats, congratulations, you're level 1, now you get one more spell or one more thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of like the uh, the base, the building blocks of of modern day leveling up systems. And I think we've slowly started to kind of iterate on that and, and make it a little bit more compelling because we've seen that done a lot. So, I mean, how... how... Have we? Have we? Think what, about every up?
2: MMO. Well, I mean, Think yeah. of every I, MMO I mean... you played or, like, this is why I stopped playing World of Warcraft. I tried it. And it was like, go kill 20 rats. And I'm like, no.
0: No. Just no. no. <laughs>
2: like, no.
0: Yeah, fine, I rolled credits on Mortal Warcraft. Area. I just uh, decided
1: to <laughs> not do those things.
2: Well, it's just like, this is boring. Like, to me, it was totally boring. Oh, yeah. To, like, have to go chase rats and have, like, a wooden sword or whatever starting equipment I had. And I'm like... I could go play D and D if this is what I want to do, which is what I I just did.
0: I, I just love the imagery of you spending the like <laughs> three hours it takes to install that game, and then you meet the first NPC, and they're like, "Would you mind getting these cabbages for me?" And you're just like, "Nope, turn it <laughs> <Just> off." <delugate>. <laughs> basically,
2: <laughs> basically, I was like, "This is, for I mean, for me it was boring," and also I was kind of new to MMOs when Warcraft was new, and it was like I've got no one. to play with this is stupid why am i running around this town looking for a cat that the villager 10 feet away could have climbed up and gotten before i arrived and i think exactly. you know
1: in world of warcraft especially in, in its early days was it, people were more receptive to that kind of gameplay that's the reason like i am never going to roll another world of warcraft characters because i can't go back and play that stuff and i know that They've probably gone back and, and changed some of that early gameplay, but there's just been so many games in, since World of Warcraft that have tried to emulate that experience. I'm like, I, I did that once and I, there's, I really don't want to go through that again. It just feels grindy and uh, like I, I'm trying to get to the point where the game actually starts and, and I'm like, well, I don't want to spend 80 hours and then
0: get to play what everyone else is playing. Yeah, And I think World of Warcraft is actually maybe a good place for us to kind of start this discussion, because I think it has a lot of the, what I would call like the prototypical elements of, of RPG leveling systems. Uh, but, but let's maybe take it back a step. Tanya, when you think about leveling up in a game or RPG progression systems, what, what jumps to your mind? Like what kind of defines the RPG leveling system for you?
2: Um, you know, those kind of intro quests where you get to figure out the system of the game and they're easier quests and it's stuff where it's kind of like okay i've done this a million times but i know it's what the game needs me to do and and i think i'm just getting into being an old crabby gamer because it'll it'll feel like the same thing like go find 10 of these go find 20 of these go find this thing that's you know two zones over so you can learn how to fast travel and you know you do enough of that stuff and eventually you get to the meat of the game you get to meet other characters and you get to get more story but that begin those beginning like first five levels seem very here we're going to teach you how to rpg in case you've never ever done this before even if this is like your 50th game that you played like this
0: or if it's final fantasy 13 it's like th- the first 60 hours of the game
2: <laughs> touche
0: <laughs> take that final fantasy 13 <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i think i think you know the RPG progression system, for a long time, has sort of been that that way of of showing, essentially, progress in the game. I mean, one of the games I've been playing recently that that has uh, a quote unquote leveling system is um, Monster Hunter. But your level is not necessarily tied to the amount of time you've put into that game. At least not in the early parts of the of Monster Hunter. Instead, it's it's like capped for each of the quests that you're on it kind of so blew my mind that, you know, when you told me that because
1: i'd been playing it but not as much as you and you, you're trying to explain that to me and i was just like wait
0: what but i think that i think that's kind of going towards what what tanya is talking about where they're using level more as a way to show sort of like narrative progress and maybe not so much sort of the um the time investment progress that maybe some other games do. Now, Jared, for you, what what does leveling up in an RPG system mean for you? To me, the most important part of it is just to
1: show progression and have a little bit of a carrot on the stick. And it's like, okay, well, in two more levels, I unlock like a new cool ability that's going to change up the gameplay and, and make it you know, continue. The, I'm probably going to be doing the same kind of things that I was doing before. Uh, but now I, ha- I have options and, and ways to uh, solve that. Whereas before, you know, you, you like they're trying to show you the mechanics of the game, uh, but not overwhelm you with everything at once. So uh, I, I really appreciate systems that give you new abilities and, and and kind of refresh the the general gameplay.
0: And I think there's I, I think there's some sort of fundamental elements to this as well that that go. All the way back to the origins of leveling up in RPGs and non-RPGs, for that matter. I just like seeing numbers go up. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know that's a big that's a big part of it, right? Is as you're doing whatever the game is asking you to do, you're accruing XP or whatever the your your game of choice is equivalent of XP is, and then you're, you know, as as you're reaching milestones, you're you're leveling up, and then that allows you to advance your character in certain ways and stats or in, on skill trees or whatever it is. Usually there's a nifty little jingle associated with it oh, sometimes yeah. give you that extra little that hit of dopamine that we all crave as gamers. <laughs> uh, Final Fantasy but, 11. That, that was like my favorite one, I think. Oh, dude, because you had to fight tooth and nail for every level in that game. Talk about grindy. Now, Tanya, what, what's the first uh, what's the first game that you remember playing that had a uh, first video game you remember playing that had an RPG progression system in it?
2: Oh wow. I had to think back cuz I'm just like what did I play? It's probably Final Fantasy 7 that I remember clearly. I'm sure there are other games like Shenmue and and other stuff, but 7 is the one that I remember clearly.
0: Yeah, 7 was that was my first foray into RPGs as well. I think we I think we went into this a little bit in our last episode cuz we talked a little bit about RPGs when we were talking about shops. But yeah, Final Fantasy 7 was my first like big RPG that I had played before that I was just into shooting aliens in the face that was my go-to jam
2: actually you know what I'm gonna take that back because I've been playing the Elder Scrolls series as well I want to say maybe Morrowind all oh, right on You that's, played Morrowind before Final
1: exciting. Fantasy 7
2: maybe I don't remember off the top of my head but I'm, <laughs> I turned around and like looked at my game shelf like what do I have or X, uh, XCOM's not a good example though it's not really an RPG
0: but, but it, I, it yeah. still kind of has leveling up right yeah, sure. I mean, I guess like, the next question I have in our show notes is what was the first non-RPG you remember <laughs> playing that, uh, that included RPG elements?
2: Okay, then, and this is the 8-bit DOS XCOM, not the new one.
0: Oh, yeah, no, yeah, we're going, we're going old school on this one. <laughs> I, I love the old XCOM. That's one of my favorite games of all time.
2: I, I still have it because I found it on Steam. And one day I feel like I should go back and, and play it just for lols. It's it's good. It holds up. It's a different game.
1: Yeah, it still holds up, and it's like way scarier than I remember it. Actually, I remember (laughs) like just like blowing the wall off of something, and then there's like five aliens inside, and that was like super hard to deal with. And that, so I remember being terrified.
0: I have a I have a funny story about that XCOM. They made a PlayStation One version of the original XCOM, and it was super rare, and I I wanted it really badly. So one time here in Arizona, I drove. From one side of Phoenix all the way to the other because there was a GameStop or it might not have even been GameStop at the time. Like Funko a, land or whatever. It was. Funko land or something. Oh my god, yeah. I haven't heard Funko I, like, Land drove, in years. <laughs> <laughs> I drove like all the way across the state to go get it because it was like the one copy that existed in Arizona. And uh, I still have it. I still have it. It's sitting in my uh in my desk in my bedroom where I got my PlayStation 3 hooked up. Go back and play it, Tanya. It's it it I think it holds up amazingly well given Sort of how graphically crummy it looks.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think my my favorite memory of that, and it's you know now I can laugh about it. The time I was so frustrated, I had a game that lasted about a hundred plus turns, and I could not find the last enemy. The game just wouldn't end, and I'm like, did I do all this and get bugged out? And it turns out a floater was stuck under some stairs that had been shot out, but he panicked and turned against the wall. Oh, and no. so, whenever any soldier or other alien passed by, it never made him react. was <laughs> so so like I, walking
1: around the level trying to figure it out.
2: I cleared the whole map. I've never <laughs> like defog, dewarfogged a whole map in XCOM in my life, except for that mission. Because I was like,
0: just, just started executing civilians. <laughs> like, Is this it? Were you the bad guy? <laughs> it was. A I just want to go home fo- to my family.
2: <laughs> right? It was the civilians all along, <laughs> and then I find this friggin thing like just turned against the bottom of the stairs like they don't see me which we literally didn't and i'm just like really i at that moment i wish i could have streamed that because that would have been like my best twitch clip ever (laughs) like way back then if twitch had been around i've been like this is it this is my defining clip because the way that i cussed that day
0: (laughs) (laughs) well knowing how you cuss today i would have i would have paid to have seen it Jared, um, how about you? What what was the first non-RPG that you remember playing that had RPG progression system? Oh, in it?
1: man, I
0: I it's hard to say. I I guess maybe did Parasite Eve have a level up system? And is that an RPG? Um, both very good questions. Um, it's been so long since I've played Parasite Eve. I, as I recall, it had RPG elements. I at least remember being able to like level up guns, yeah, right? It,
1: you can. Yeah, it says that you can um, look at the Wikipedia page because it's been uh, years and years that you could you could definitely distribute that into stats. Uh, I'm going go to our, carry I'm go back more to our remakes
0: episode with Kyle and demand that they remake that game. Yeah, I'm that game is right super
1: weird. Uh, this is, you know, Squaresoft's kind of heyday. I think maybe Squaresoft is the leveling system that I kind of go back to think of because that, that company was so uh, formative in, in when I was growing up, as far as the games that they were releasing, um, yeah, Parasite Eve was a it was a weird, weird game. It's, it's more of like an action RPG and slash survival horror, I guess. Yeah, they said what if uh, Resident Evil was an RPG? Wow. I, I remember really liking that game. It. I'm gonna go ahead and say, contrary to the, the XCOM, this one probably doesn't hold up well in a modern context. But yeah, uh, I, 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 I can I don't kind know. of remember.
0: Yeah, for for me it was uh, Deus Ex, which is oh, a, right. uh, yeah, yeah, the the original one, not the not these like the the modern. See, I would re- consider that reboots. an RPG though. No, the shooting was terrible. No, there had never been a first person RPG. It was it was I think a shooter first and and RPG elements layered on top of it. Fight majored. Yeah, uh, was <laughs> a discussion for another episode, but <laughs> yeah, okay. I, um, that was the first time I remember, you know, I, I was not a big RPG player. Like I played final fantasy seven and I was kind of into the, the final fantasy stuff, but once those RPG elements started creeping into other games, I was I was psyched because there I, I feel like at least personally there's there's something very exciting about a uh, an RPG progression system and I can't quite put my finger on what it is like well, as far as Deus Ex like correct me if I'm wrong
1: but that first game you couldn't really put all your points in you couldn't like get everything you kind of had to like pick a direction and and then that was where you would dump all of your XP
0: that's correct and now it's been so long since I've played it I can't remember if it had like a straight up and down level system like. I don't remember if you actually gained levels or if you're just sort of augmenting different abilities as you're getting augments in that game. But it, but there definitely was like a progression to it. Like your character at the end of that game was stronger than at the beginning. And it was because of these thing, you know, these, um, these things that you had accrued over the course of playing that game. Um, and there's something like very satisfying about that. Um, Jared, I know you've been playing God of War. Tanya, have you been playing the new God of War?
2: I have played it and got through the story, and now I foolishly um, have been trying to fight the Valkyries.
1: Yeah, I've encountered those. Uh, I am I think I'm about halfway through the story, and I encountered them kind of early, and they definitely, like, one-shot me. So I have not gone toe-to-toe with them in a fair <laughs> way yet.
2: I, I've no. faced one. That was enough. One of my <laughs> friends, I... So one of my friends, and for whatever reason, she decided to start fighting Valkyrie's mid-story, and I was like, why would you do this? But okay. Um, There was, it was one night, I went out to dinner with my partner. She was fighting the same Valkyrie. I went out to dinner. We had a significant weight to eat. Came back, she was on the same Valkyrie.
0: Oh, (laughs) (laughs) This sounds like my kind of game. This is why I need to get into this game right now. I mean, but I think you can level your
1: way up into where it's more like the other fights, like a slightly more difficult version of, of some of the other bosses, I I don't think halfway through is the right time to fight those things.
0: Because you're like um, chitting away like, like tiny see, bits of health. Per see, hit. that's where I would probably... Having not played this, that's probably where where I would disagree with you, Jared. That's to me, sounds like the perfect time to start going toe-to-toe with these things. Um, I mean... I- uh,
2: I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? Well, okay, so let me let me just say that you know I played the game most on normal. There was one boss fight I dropped it to easy because it was like, I am not trying to be gamer bro. I don't care about get good culture. I would like to preserve my wrists and my hands, so I dropped the fight to easy and it was still difficult. Because there's, are a- you a true
1: God of War though if you're playing on easy because the. The, get out of here! I think the get normal
0: difficulty is this is God of War. Just hey, Tanya, just say the word and I'll fire Jared right now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, let's let's not be like the dude that was whining on Twitter about true gamers because he didn't get a State of Decay code.
0: Uh, oh, I saw that. Yeah, gross. bad form. Bad form.
2: Yeah. So let's let's not be that dude talking about who's the true gamer, because I also I'll be in L.A. I will just I will just come visit you, and it will be of and, and I
0: know
1: Steve will give you my address, so I'm, I take back everything I said.
2: Now, if if I came to see you, it would be for fun. It would not be to be mean to you. Um, oh, I appreciate that. Well, you're you're a good person. I like you. But as for God of War, it's interesting because unlike other games. When you pick up items, when you pick up resources, it actually goes into the crafting system. There's not a lot I've picked up where I've been like, what is this? Should I sell it? Like, I don't think I've sold anything the entire time I've been playing the game. And I feel like, you know, smashing things is actually worth it because, hey, I get more currency, which means I can now craft things because as you progress, armor and other upgrades gets way more expensive in the hex silver that you pick up everywhere.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: And so but there's points and there's xp and and that actually makes a difference it feels like there is a point to me going and challenging myself and fighting creatures because there's other stuff besides the valkyries to fight and it makes to me i didn't feel like i was just fighting stuff to fight it like there was a tangible reward to me to give me that boost as a player of i beat this difficult creature i beat this ancient i beat whatever and I've got enough XP now to where I can craft new armor or I can unlock this new tier of my weapons.
0: Now, h- having not played it, does it have like a like a traditional leveling up system or is all of your progress through I- uh, improving your gear that you have?
2: There is a skill tree and leveling. I don't know if you. OK. So every like all your gear starts at one like every other game, but you do kind of level up. And then as you unlock zones, because I don't want to spoil too much. But you get stuff that can only, say, be found in one zone, but it's a higher tier of armor, it's a higher tier of weapon, so there's an incentive for me to then go into these realms, and these areas, where maybe I wouldn't normally go, because it doesn't. it's not required story-wise to go there, but I can go there and explore if I so choose.
0: Now, were you a fan of the previous God of War games, Tanya, or is this the first one that you've really dove into?
2: Um, I played the first one I tried to play the third one and I know people will probably yell at me for this I don't care but at a certain point I was over the let's have the quick time sex event um, <laughs> yes. and that just kind of turned me off as a, as a as a mechanic and you know it's very puzzly but surprisingly enough this god of war beside like the seamlessness of I'm fighting its story. I'm fighting its cutscene. Like there is no latency at all. Mm. Um, emotionally it kind of devastated me. Kratos grew up and clearly the people making this game, they probably have kids and they've grown up a little bit too. Because we don't have we don't have any let's bang the goddess quick time events. We don't have the the, you know, Kratos is master of everything. We see a tired dude who's just like, I'm in emotional pain and I don't know what to do with this kid and and the kid deals with some things as well. I mean, I mean, since you've started the game, this isn't too much of a spoiler. But it starts with Kratos' wife has died and you are fulfilling her last wish, which is the gist of the game. Um, so I could do without fridging the wife to, as your mechanic. But emotionally, it impacted me way more than I expected.
0: Yeah, we're we're uh, at this point the uh, the woman in the refrigerators come up on this show so many times. I think we're gonna have to make an entire episode out of that at some point. Now, were the RPG elements of the the game a big draw for you? Was you know obviously the story you know this one from what I've gleaned seems to be a much more emotionally mature game than the previous ones. But but from a gameplay standpoint, it's a it's a very different kind of god of war game they've they've implemented a what sounds like a lot of different rpg elements is is that part of the draw for you tanya
2: um well the draw was partially seeing how the game has matured but also watching people play it Um, my friends over gamertag radio were playing it a little bit early um i watched paris Lily play it and it was just like i'm a sucker for open world it may frustrate me but i enjoy it and to be able to roam so freely in addition to what it is i need to do and to have the game not really force me into a corridor of, of must-do story must-do story right now don't go here um but those elements of exploration and and story did draw me in because at first i was like oh, i'll get it when i get it but providence worked out and a friend of mine had an extra copy otherwise i'd probably still be waiting to play it or you know wait till i'm done with traveling for the summer what have you but I'm glad I got it, and I got sucked into it. Like, I kind of dropped everything else I was doing to, to get through God of War.
1: It's a really pretty game, and it, it you do just kind of want to... It sort of has, like, that Breath of the Wild feeling where you kind of want to just explore, and you're rewarded for exploring because there's always something interesting to do or a cool little side story. Um, as far as the, the, the level progression or the level up progression is... You can see basically all of the skill tree at the beginning. You can kind of see like what's coming up, like which branch you want to put your points into. But there are also things that they don't they don't show you everything up front. And that really there's there's definitely times where the game surprised me and I was like, awesome. Like, that is so cool that like I thought I had knew everything what to expect in this game. And it was constantly surprising me with new mechanics and, and new ways to encounter combat, but also
0: like solve puzzles. That's cool. I'm 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 a um and people who listen to this show will know this. I'm I'm a like gameplay first, story second kind of person. The big draw of, of this new God of War for me is more the uh the menus of the game, I guess, might be might be a way to say it. I'm I'm interested in how the game displays the progress because it's something that hasn't really existed in a God of War before this. There were different weapons that you could use in the old God of Wars that kind of changed your fighting style, but that wasn't much of, like, a a progression. And now, with this one, including all of these, like, big, rich RPG elements, it has me really excited to get into it. So I, I need to just pull the trigger so that I don't have to keep, like, speaking off of speculation whenever we record one of these episodes.
2: <laughs> I mean, um, I, I would get it. And, you know, I don't say this lightly because I don't give praise lightly to games. Right now, God of War is my game of the year for 2018.
0: That's significant. I, I mean, I... I, I am truly excited to play this game so I just gotta I gotta get the funds together and, and make it happen. Are there any games that you've played in the past uh, RPGs or otherwise that have used leveling up or the progression system in, in interesting ways that, that had a positive impact on your experience of the game?
2: um well I played so many RPGs um well aside from God of War monster hunters intriguing to me I f- still don't fully understand how leveling if leveling exists in monster hunter because there's your hunter rank
0: um yeah no no one understands i don't even think <laughs> capcom understands the leveling system in that game
2: um so i'm just like okay i've got this hunter rank what does this mean blah 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 and so i i enjoy it but i'm still kind of confused as to what exactly i'm doing um and dragon agent mass effect are interesting to me because you know you get so many points and and then you it's to me, the leveling has always felt like it's always been visualized and in some cases literally skill trees because I think it's been that way for both Bioware games, uh, Mass Effect and Dragon Age, where you you get a level, but then you unlock skills and then you eventually unlock special skills. And I think a good way of looking at it because there's an incentive because you can kind of see what's coming up. Oh, if I do this, I can unlock this skill and then I can have this build. The Witcher 3 is another example of that. Um, I don't know if either of you have played it. I have. I like it. I I, I I feel a way about some of the combat elements of the first two games. The first game was so clunky I put it down. Second one, eh. But the ways in which you can... Cut, you almost merge crafting and leveling to me. Because you need to kind of find elements for crafting. And then you can unlock certain things on a skill tree. Um, so I think that's a good system of leveling up as well.
0: In what ways does that separate it from... I don't know. Say like the, the Final Fantasy model of, of leveling up like why why does one attract you more than the other
2: um Final Fantasy I always thought of as kind of grindy I never felt like like um more story-driven games were particularly grindy because I like Final Fantasy and I've, I've been a fan of it for years but leveling the game has always felt super grindy and after a while I get tired of it if not flat out bored
1: you're definitely not wrong I recall for Final Fantasy 8 there was a section of the map where you could just like, if you, you could like tape down your, your, your controller, like to like move forward and your guy uh, in this section of the map would just bounce around and you could set it so that every time you got into a random encounter, you would be drawing uh, magic from those things. Because so I was like, well, a big part of the final fantasy eight system was you would draw magic and put it, feed it into like your summons or whatever. And I remember just like taping my controller to a desk and, and putting something heavy on the forward button and then just leaving it for like two hours so that I would just like level up like and just get like way too overpowered <laughs> for the game because <laughs>
0: yep, it wasn't fun.
1: It was like if you really wanted like the best stuff you could get, that's what you would have to do for hours. And that is 100 percent like even at the time I wasn't super into that. And now I, you know, I would have no interest in engaging with that
0: but that's that gets into like interesting territory with rpg systems right is an rpg system is kind of supposed to be a way to represent character growth um cuz it's not it's it's not it's it's sort of skipping player growth it's saying like you don't you as a player don't have to get better your character gets better and then that's how you advance in this game but then it becomes like a balance thing right of like you have to have been in this many encounters in order to get to the next part of the game. And if for whatever reason you haven't done it, like some of the Final Fantasy games included items that let you minimize the amount of encounters you you would run into. And if, if you were doing that or you were mainlining the story or whatever it is, you could definitely get to a point in the game where you were not at the level you were supposed to be and That's weird, right? Like that's a a problem when like sort of narratively your character is where they're supposed to be, but there's this like odd gameplay element holding you back. Do you ever feel like that, Tanya? Do you ever, does that ever like bump you when you run into those situations? Like, look, I just slayed this big boss and now you're telling me, you know, like I slayed the big level 10 boss and now you're telling me that this level 12 rat is kicking my ass?
2: (laughs) Yeah, and so what's funny is that Even though Far Cry 5 is not really an RPG, it's a story-driven game, I had instances where, like, I had just, like, you know, taken out a whole cult compound, but this wombat just murdered me. This wombat came out of (laughs) nowhere, bit me on the ankles, (laughs) and now I'm dead. And I'm like, the wildlife killed me, but... A dude with a 50 cal couldn't take me out? Are you... Is this what's happening?
0: Well, this is... And this is getting into one of the other things I think is kind of a problem with level systems, right? Is like level systems are also supposed to communicate a lot of information to the player about where they stand in the world. Like when, you know, I'm I'm level 10. And when I look at something that's level 9, it should look easier. And when I look at something that's level 11, it should look harder. But because games are video games sometimes like when you look at something that's level 11 it is like uh, you know a, a vole you're looking at a mouse or whatever you know like why why is i just i've just been fighting human beings and now like because this is a video game you're telling me that this thing is you know it <laughs> is more difficult to kill i final fantasy was like notorious for this like you you would you would be attacking uh like shinra and they would have their like elite security guards fighting you but then like you'd also be fighting rats in the sewers that were literally the exact same level and difficulty of these elite soldiers and you're having to make these like ludonarrative leaps to understand like what is happening in this game but again it's it's because video game oh man you remember remember uh Tonberries in final fantasy 7 oh no 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 <laughs> stupid looking yep.
1: like no the lizard things that you'd like unleash like you're all of your summons on like got the gods from above would hit them with the laser beams and he would just like slowly walk towards you with his knife <laughs> he was like get away
2: look tonberry still give me nightmares
1: <laughs> i had to uh, i forgot the name of him so i had to google final fantasy knife turtle and uh, <laughs> that, that brought me to the right spot
0: there's some interesting fan
1: art for that by the way <laughs> i'm sure oh. there is <laughs>
2: Wow!
0: after After we had uh, t- after we had Kim on our episode uh talk about uh linear narratives, I uh, I started going down like a lot of weird rabbit holes of, of fan art for different things. But uh, there's there's what I learned there was uh the, the amount of Bowser fan art that exists. Oh yeah, sexy very, Bowser, v- very phallic Bowser art that exists.
2: <laughs> yeah, there there's a lot, and just be careful when you're looking for that stuff. If, depending on where you are.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I work in a, a very relaxed work environment. No one, no one in my place cares. <laughs> are there any games that you've played, Jared, that have uh, good implementations of RPG leveling systems or, or maybe interesting leveling systems? My first foray into the Elder
1: Scrolls series was Oblivion. And I really appreciated that you could level up things just by doing them. You know, like you could jump, like the more you jump, the, the higher you, or the better you are at jumping in acrobatics. I really like that in theory. I, I think maybe in practice in
0: that game, it, it wasn't as great. I, I'm I'm 100% with you. And it's funny that you say jumping, because whenever you watch someone play Oblivion, that's all they did. Oh, yeah, you just jump went. everywhere. Yeah, so that kind of breaks the immersion in that one, I would say. Or you just like lock pick the lock on your own house door a 100 times. And it's been a few years since I've played
1: Final Fantasy VII.
0: But I really
1: remember enjoying the materia system in that game. And I don't know if, if that necessarily factors into leveling up. But it kind of does, right? Cuz weren't you weren't you like putting points into materia to get them higher? Or did you just have to find higher level materia?
0: No, no, you would you would level up your materia. It the materia's each had their own level that you were working on as you as you played that game. It was from a separate so you would get like XP for your characters and then there was a separate, I don't know, currency you would earn that was specifically for the materia. And I mean, end game there were certain mobs you could fight that didn't give you much experience, but leveled up your materia faster. Um, I remember that being really interesting at the time, because it felt like I was really
1: customizing my gameplay. You know, like you could basically by the end game, if you were min maxing, you could like set it up. So Knights of the round that like 15 minute long cutscene summon would happen like four times in a row, just just from one cast. And, uh, you know, while that might not be super fun to do, it definitely made you feel powerful.
0: Oh, for sure. I, 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 love the materia system in Final Fantasy VII. I think it had a lot more, uh, depth, like potentially to it than ended up being put into that game. But I'm hopeful that in this remake, they reevaluate what make the materia system fun and really, and really get into it because I, I think that that could be a blast. Now, for me, I, I think a um, a great example of a RPG leveling system is something like what Dark Souls did, where Dark Souls, I I think at its core, is very much about um, what I'll call player progression, where you as the player need to learn the systems of the game in order to succeed. And leveling up in that game was, was not a way to shortcut learning how the game is meant to be played, but instead is just meant to mitigate some of the risk of playing the game. But it wasn't, I mean, I guess perhaps there were cases where you could just like grind for for hours and hours and hours and then get overpowered enough to defeat a boss. But but I think if it mo- the way most people play the game, at least the way I certainly played the game, was, you know, you you got up to a sufficient level to face the boss and then you just learned that fight. And to me, that's a really cool way to do it, where leveling up is not the be-all end-all but is kind of this uh i don't know an augmentation of your own skill and progress in the game see i i never
1: was any good at any of those dark souls games or bloodborne or anything so i didn't what, finish get them good? what get good get good i i tried i restarted dark souls a few times and I, you know, when people said stuff like that where it's like, yeah, I mean, you 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 are getting better as a player. I was like, bullshit because I gone to I went to that uh straight to the the skeleton graveyard that you can go to early on in the game where you just get absolutely like one-shot because it's like a little bit too early. You have to go the other direction. Mm-hmm. But then I watched videos of people playing that game as a level 1 naked character and Mm -hmm. beating the game and i was just like well i guess i'm just terrible at video games forever now because that (laughs) that'll never happen
0: we also established in the last episode that you killed a pretty significant character early on in that (laughs) game that might have hindered some of your progress (laughs) yes i
1: did kill the character that allowed you to level up your weapons but uh that certainly (laughs) didn't help um i i I don't know if you guys saw this in discord I, i posted a picture of a skill tree This is Is the Final Fantasy X? No, this is from Path of Exile, which is a a free-to-play game. It's it's kind of like Diablo. I haven't played enough of it to know like how they monetize it. From all I've heard, it's a pretty fair monetization business model. But this is their skill tree. And I have heard that it is like one of the most customizable. You can customize your character's abilities in this game more than any other game. And I'll have to put this somewhere when we post this episode because it just looks like a spider web of a thousand different skills you can go to. A lot of them are passive, but I think a lot of them also are active stuff that you can keep track of depending on, you know, your gameplay style. So interesting. I don't know if this is the type of thing that I would want out of a lot of games because I would have that choice anxiety where I'd be like, I don't know. And I'm also like I'm at a point in my life where I'm not
0: going to like go online for like mid max guides. Yeah, this, this uh, skill tree reminds me a lot of Final Fantasy X. That, and that, that game was the exact same thing, where it was it was a giant spider web. And that game was originally designed where you're supposed to swap between party members in the middle of fights to account for weaknesses of enemies or shortcomings of your own party, uh, whatever it is that you're encountering. But I, because I played that game a lot, I grinded a lot in that game, I sort of designed my characters the way that I wanted them to be and had just a party of three the way that the traditional Final Fantasy is supposed to, you know was played and uh they just they covered everything so i i I appreciate that in some r p g s they let you do this let you really get into the the nitty gritty of a character and 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 customize them as you want well, we've been positive for long enough let's uh let's jump into my favorite part of the show where we go negative. <laughs> <laughs> Tanya, are there any RPG progression systems in games that maybe detracted from the experience for you? Or maybe RPG progression systems that seemed like they were put into a game where it may or may not have been necessary?
2: Ooh, tough one because there's so many games that have this this type of progression, but I from the notes you have Destiny and I that's honestly the one I can think of off the bat because you know, you have to you have to do stuff. You get light levels. And it's still not clear what this means. And and the way and the reason I'm picking on Destiny, especially Destiny 2, is that, you know, at a certain point when you get so much light level, you can get legendary or, or epic armor pieces and weapons. Mm-hmm. Except I can't have a whole outfit to complement my legendary pieces. I have to pick and choose like one legendary weapon. One legendary armor piece, and it may not be legendary, I may be using the wrong word. It's but... the uh,
0: exotics in Destiny.
2: Thank you. Legendary, one of the words. It, like, it's it yeah. takes a lot of work No, to it's co-
0: it. It's confusing, because all the different games use different names for all that stuff.
2: You know, I've got a character in Destiny 2 that's, that's not quite maxed out, but I've got something that's, what, 340 light. So if I wear that helmet, I can't wear any of the other stuff that I have grinded for or got from doing raids or what have you. And it's like I'm not maximizing that potential versus other games where it's like you get a bonus for matching armor sets or all exotic, all legendary sets. And it's and it's also just never clear why I've landed on this planet and just start shooting things <laughs> <laughs> like I'm revived. I'm just going to go start killing shit. So why? Because, why am I? Because giving... video game. Right. But it's like there's not really a good explanation for why you've landed or you've been revived like your ghost and and the ghost doesn't do a good job of kind of explaining especially like if you picked up destiny 2 and know nothing about the first game your ghost could then be the plot device of we see or maybe i mean because you can't import a save or anything but the game is assuming you've played destiny 1 and the
1: the wizards came from the moon i mean if that's not a good enough reason to go and (laughs) just destroy life on other planets
2: Well I mean you do get a little more narrative but they're still like okay so we're doing this again I guess and now the light is gone and I have to suffer and go through these trials and now there's reasons I'm still shooting things that I and if you never played the DLC because I tried to get in the first Destiny during Taken King it made no sense to me I didn't know why I was killing stuff I didn't know why anything had happened and then I got Destiny 2 and I'm still just as confused.
0: Destiny with a subpar storytelling mechanic. Tanya, get out of here. <laughs> I know.
2: And, and The thing is, and to be fair, I do have friends that work in Bungie, so hopefully they will not be mad at me. But you know, for me, as as someone who's going to sit there and play this, I don't always need to have a reason why I'm going to jump into a game and just start doing things. But for a space game, because it also for me when I saw all the stuff about Destiny pre-release, I thought it would be more Mass Effecty, more third person, more story driven, not land on a moon, get revived, and start shooting things just because.
0: Yeah, not not Doom with cutscenes every once in a while.
2: Right. And, you know, we grew up with Doom. I like Doom, but at least I felt like I knew why things were going on in Doom. Yeah. It,
0: so Destiny brings up... Um, I mean, it, it ties so beautifully into this discussion because Destiny is one of those games that... I'm not 100% sure why it has the rpg progression system in the game so for those people who haven't played destiny at all there's your you have two level systems there's your character level which is based purely on the experience that you gain and it caps at a certain point point. and it, you know each time they release dlc they raise the um i think it's what's called the soft level cap so you, you can you no longer accrue xp at a certain point point. and then as you're equipping armor and weapons to yourself Those have what's called... Well, in the first game, it was light level. I think they changed it to power level in the second game. But it essentially served the exact same function. That becomes what defines your character's level is the sort of the average uh, power level of all the armor that you're wearing. Now, this is hella confusing. I don't understand why this exists, why both of these systems exist in Destiny and why it's not just one or the other, except for... I think this goes to a trend that we're seeing in video games where a lot of games feel like they have to tick the RPG boxes, right? Like we got to have the the armor level box tick. We got to have the character level box tick. And it doesn't, at a certain point, stops making sense. And Jared, you played a little Destiny. I know you kind of bounced off it pretty quickly, but, you know, do you have any perspective on this being someone who like kind of jumped in and jumped right out? Like, did it, was the confusion of the progression system maybe a part of what didn't keep you engaged with that game so i I also started playing destiny around the taken
1: king because everyone said like oh this is like the game that should have released when the game came out so i was like all right sounds like a good time to jump in except that like you have to play through all of the earlier stuff which seems completely pointless it's like okay i just got a new gun but that's just to get me to the next gun to get me to the next gun to get me to the end game so i can play with my friends and to me that wasn't fun. The story wasn't interesting enough and there wasn't enough other stuff other than just shooting to get more gear to get more gear. Um it, it just it didn't get its hooks in me because I didn't feel like I think the one thing that I guess I did like was leveling up my uh, what what do you call it? Like your class, your class abilities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was kind of fun because eventually you get like really flashy you know new new magic and stuff but um, as far as all the equipment goes, I was like, well, this is all pointless. And I, I guess I just need to grind through this as quick as possible so I can go do
0: some of the you know, quote unquote fun stuff at the end, which I never ended up. Here's maybe how I would have imagined an ideal destiny be designed. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm like way off base here and, and people can write in and say that I've, I've lost it, but I'm sure I am sure the think developers that, have an idea of the ideal destiny that they wanted to make too. Yeah. Well, so so here's the thing. What if there was no level in destiny at all until you hit the end game and then it was just level 1 through level 5 based on your gear? Because there there doesn't really seem to be a point of leveling up during the course of the story. I mean, there there might you could maybe make an argument that like, "Oh, your you know, your character is progressing and you're seeing that growth in unlocking abilities." I would say the game is like pretty vanilla until your abilities are all maxed out. So why not just start the game with them all there and then have it be for the people who are interested in the end game grind. Let it be, you know, let the end game be about that. But it's really weird because your character level, your armor level doesn't really matter much as you're playing through the initial story in Destiny. So I, I just I find it very confusing in that game. And and don't get me wrong, like Destiny 1 is a game I loved a lot mostly for the end game content. So I I, I hope I'm not like coming down. I don't seem like I'm coming down too hard on it because Destiny 1 is some of my favorite gaming experiences of all time. But the the RPG systems in it are just so confusing. I I feel like that
1: might be a, a symptom as games as a service and just trying to keep people engaged with new content. They, they kind of trivialize old content in the name of getting people to play like the newest stuff. You know, that, that's kind of what happened with the Taken King, I felt like, because I'm pretty sure they leveled you up faster after that came out. So you could hit that cap earlier. But to me, it I, they, just... they give
0: you a consumable that let you com- like quickly level one of your characters up to the old soft cap, I think.
1: Oh, right. Yeah. And I decided not to use it because I was like, oh, I should experience, you know, all the stuff that I. Just paid 60 dollars well, for you did wrong you did it wrong Appa- apparently <laughs> but like you know I, I also was concerned another problem with that is you know world of warcraft had that too where you could just start a character at like near max level oh um, yeah i remember that and, and and the problem with that is that like you have people playing a class that they haven't played for you know the the 10 20 hours however long it took you to get there so you're not familiar with the gameplay mechanics you're not familiar with like the best, you know, best practices for the role that you're playing.
0: I remember uh, that. I remember the the Blood Knight tanks when you're in the uh, Burning Crusades. Yeah, it's just and a like bunch of pe- people who don't know how to actually play the game are all trying to take on one of the most significant roles in the party. It was it was good times. It's
1: a, it's, it's an interesting way of looking at, at progression, but um, I I, d- I do think it's it's because of games as a service that that adds a bump to that.
0: Now. Jared, are, are there any games that you can think of that maybe had a less than optimal implementation of RPG progression systems? Any game that
1: levels enemies up with you. I think it, it could oh, good call. Like, why have a leveling system at all if you're always just gonna be equally as powerful from the start of the game as you are at the end? Oblivion was the first game that I realized that was doing that, and I didn't want to go back to, you know, my starting town and fight level 30 mud crabs. It made no sense. Like, one of my favorite things in games is to try to get as powerful as possible so you can go back through and just kind of steamroll through old content, you know. And uh, World of Warcraft, even, that was a lot of fun going back to old dungeons as as a higher level and just absolutely destroying everything in, like, seconds.
0: Like, that, to me, there's a real sense of satisfaction to that. Well, and I'm curious to hear, Tanya... How do you feel about like video game systems that do this, like the Fallout games, or eh, let's just say Bethesda games, because they're kind of notorious for doing this? But is this something that you appreciate, or does or does this cause issues for you?
2: Um, it's a little bit of both. Like, you know, I do like the. I'm a big. I like Skyrim. I think I bought Skyrim on every platform you can get it. But it doesn't bother me, and like it doesn't take away from enjoying the game for me. The level level matching. On the one hand, if I go into an area that I shouldn't really be in, quote-unquote, it gives me a false sense of, I've mastered the game, and then when I go into another game where they don't do this, I'm going to get killed. Um, So I think it gives me a little bit of false hope, false sense of, of mastering a game when I really haven't. But it doesn't detract from that, because it also makes me able to fully explore the game, and maybe I shouldn't be in a level 30 area with a level 15 character, but if the enemies scale and match me, oh, well, the game let me do it.
0: Now, Jared, did Fallout 4, did that game satisfy you? Because I remember that was the first time that Bethesda had said, like, we, we've we heard some of the complaints with the uh, with the way that, you know, the world levels up with you. And they, they tried to do sort of like a 50-50 where some of the enemies level up with you. And then there's also some enemies that are just, you know hard capped at whatever level they're at. So you can feel badass at some parts and you can feel underpowered at some parts. Uh, Did did Fallout 4 do a better job for you? Honestly, I played that entire game and I don't
1: remember. Um, (laughs) It didn't stick out to me. I mean, it didn't do the Fallout, you know, Fallout 3 did the thing where everything levels up with you. So it was always kind of consistent throughout the entire game. Uh, I, I don't remember ever having a difficult time getting through an area in Fallout 4. I enjoyed Fallout 4 quite a bit, but I, I, there's no, like, fight that was memorable to me because I got stuck on it. Um, I don't remember, like, ever feeling, like, too powerful. So, I don't know. I guess maybe if, if that was just something, that if that was their goal, was to just kind of make it be there but not super noticeable, then maybe they accomplished what they were trying to do. Uh, but, you know, Fallout, those, those games aren't really, I'm not there for, like, a super hard challenge anyways, yeah. so...
0: If, if they did things right, you won't be sure they did
1: anything at all. Maybe, it. maybe. I mean, I, I not, but on the <laughs> other hand of that, I, I don't remember much of the game at all. I remember enjoying <laughs> it while I played it, and I enjoy like there the even atmosphere. you a Fallout Four, <laughs> and like the things that those Fallout games do really well is telling those you know, little tiny micro stories, um, you know, just from like, context clues and stuff. I have not played through Assassin's Creed Origins yet. I've I've kind of started it. I own it. Uh, but they went back after the game was released and they added an option to scale enemies with you. I think the way when it was released, it was kind of traditional. There are certain sections where things are too powerful for you, but they went back and updated and patched in uh, new options where everything will come to whatever level you're at. And I thought that Ooh. was kind of cool. Uh, Ubisoft has been uh, as much you know, grief as I give them on this show, they've been super receptive to updating their games and supporting them after the fact. And I think it's it's neat that they added in, um, you know, along with like their educational mode difficulty options like
0: that. Well, and and I believe that Assassin's Creed Origins was your game of the year last year, right, Tanya?
2: Uh, yes, it was. And, you know, the leveling in that was interesting because with the DLC that's out now, There's a recommended level to start, and if you don't have that level, they'll offer to basically give you that level, but then it makes a copy of your save. But I've got to a point now where it's like, I was supposed to be level 45 to start, but where I'm at now, I need to be level 48. So there's still progression gaps that I've noticed, at least with this. Hmm. It's like, I've done all the stuff you told me to do, but I'm still two levels lower than what is suggested for the DLC.
1: And has it affected the gameplay in the DLC at all?
2: Um, a little bit because because I'm at a point in the game because this DLC came out so long after where I've done most of the stuff in the game, so what can I do now to get XP? Yeah,
0: that's, that's kind of strange. Just, just fight hippopotamus?
2: Look, those hippopotamuses are no joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, are there... are.
0: I mean, I've said it. I, I find RPG progression systems in games exciting for some reason, and I can't quite put my finger on on why it is. I, Jared, what do you like RPG progression systems, or is it something you just doesn't really enter into the equation when you're considering playing a game?
1: I'm honestly having a hard time imagining games without them. Like a modern game, pretty, almost That's every true. game has it now in some way. So I, I don't know what that would look like. I, I appreciate... There being new things to discover and new ways to play the game as I go on, especially if games go on for 15, 20, 30 plus hours, you know, like I'm, I'm still playing through Divinity Original Sin. I think I'm 80 hours into that game and there's still more to do and still more to see. And that's what keeps me coming back to it. That can also be a turnoff to some people that like, damn, like I don't have 90 hours to see everything (laughs) in this game, you know, but I, I don't sometimes you see games that are implemented just as, like, like you said, like a checkbox and that, that can just be sort of arbitrary and, and they're just trying to gate content off so that you have to grind up to, to see the next thing. <coughs> monster
2: Hunter. Yeah.
1: Some people enjoy that type of gameplay, but I, I don't have uh, the drive. Like I, I just, I've kind of fallen off monster Hunter a little bit because I just don't want to grind out 10 more t-rex hides to to get to the next you know piece of content so yeah i don't know like i would like to i outside of like niche genres i i don't i'm
0: having a hard time thinking about modern games without it it's weird right it's like this it's this huge trend in gaming that now almost everything has an rpg progression system i remember when i was young my buddy aaron he was the rpg kid like he was the one who played all the rpgs but he played, he played a very different kind of video game than I did. And now he he can laugh at me because he's won. He's won the, the video game war. now every right. game is is shaped in the image that he wants. <laughs> I remember when text uh, messaging came out and I was like,
1: who's gonna want to type on their
0: phone when you could just call somebody? So you know you're not yeah. the first one. Yeah, don't don't ever call me Jared. Everything <laughs> through text message. Now now Tanya, how do you feel about the trend in gaming where it seems like every single game nowadays has some sort of RPG progression system in it? Is that a good trend for you, or or do you see that as problematic in some ways?
2: Um, I wouldn't call it problematic. And honestly, for some things, I never tied it to an RPG like progression system. I just thought of at some point i must go from baseline character to the badass that can finish this game and beat the final boss so there has to be some progression but until our discussion there's some games where i never thought of it that way to be honest well and um, there's
0: there's still plenty of games that i think maybe don't do it the i don't know the traditional rpg way you know i think of games like like metroidvanias like there are other ways to represent a character progressing so like there's the uh, the zeldas of the world although I, I now i haven't played breath of the wild so i could be completely talking out on my bottom but in you know traditionally in zelda games it was not about necessarily raising a level it was about getting the next piece of gear you needed to get through the next area and that's a way to represent your character's growth and progress so not not everything necessarily has this level up mechanic that we're talking about in here but um do you are you all for this, Tanya? You know, are you just are you the uh, you know fuck my shit up with RPG systems? <laughs>
2: um. Well, i I don't mind it. I don't know that I'd be like raw. Every game needs it because not all gameplay styles lend themselves to that type of progression. Because mechanically, in some games, it would not make sense to have that be tied to how you how you level. But for the most part, I think it's it's working because a lot of games have had this progression system. And I've never noticed, and I'm someone who plays a lot of RPGs. And maybe I just am so ingrained in that methodology of leveling because I'm old, older, and you know, I've been playing DD, I've been playing tabletop, and it's just kind of ingrained of you do things, you complete mission, you get more stuff, you get better stuff, and you go from there. So it's it's nothing I'm against, but now that we've had this discussion, I'm probably gonna be far more aware of it than i normally am <laughs>
0: it's like a it's lot it's of like guys say when, that i, I did like think when you, about it but now I'm. that's all i can see yeah it's like when you point out lens flares in jj abrams movies to people who've never seen it before and they're just like oh fuck now every <laughs> yeah. now every time there's a lens flare it's all i'm looking at
2: yep or you go yep photoshop or abrams or one of the above or both
0: <laughs> i think call yeah. of duty
1: 4 was like one of the first times where i started to see that crossover they, they implemented their their progression system and, and weapon unlocks. And I think that's generally received as like the formative moment of modern games now, especially shooters, anyways. Yeah. Like now every game has that because, like, what are you supposed to do? Like, what's there to keep you playing if you're not
0: trying to prestige for the eighth time? Well, yeah. And that's, and that gets into an even more interesting thing, right? Is because in a lot of these games we've been talking about, leveling up is sort of paired with narrative. Like, it's supposed to represent the growth of, of a character in some way. And when you're talking about a game like Call of Duty or, you know, I've, I've been playing a lot of Overwatch again lately, there's leveling up in those games. But what what's being leveled up? Is it me you know, is it me the player? Is it my account? Like what is it? And it's it go it, it, it goes to this UX that we talked about, I think, when we had Cicero on. It's this idea of like getting players engaged with your game for long periods of time and like the psychological tricks that go into that. And one of those psychological tricks is signaling, like, you know, being able to show off cool gear and the, the things that you've done. But also part of that is showing off your level, like how much time you've spent in this game. So it's it's interesting that especially a game like Call of Duty, where there's not really a reason to have levels in that game per se, but they're there. Yeah,
1: especially in multiplayer games, it it is definitely used as a business model. It mm-hmm. seems like,
0: yeah, for sure.
1: Um, and and like I'm fine with that. They have to continue to
0: make their money, so that that's fine. It's fine. It's ma- fine as long as we're all aware of it. And this goes to anything that I think we talk about on this show, like the seasonal events or like loot boxes, like sort of, as long as you're aware that there's little tricks being played on you, as long as you're aware of that stuff, then it doesn't become problematic where, where it does become kind of an issue is when like all of these things like signaling and scarcity and, and uh, gambling and all these things kind of become an issue is when, you know, video game companies create this perfect storm and it ends up Affecting the the most vulnerable amongst us as gamers, and I don't know. You know, we we discussed this plenty of times. We don't have to keep going down this road, but do we go on as like that's just the price of of business, or is there something that needs to change? I don't know. It's all all about seeing those numbers get bigger.
1: I guess you you want to learn something about yourself. Try a idle clicker or a clicker game. I I downloaded a free one on Steam a couple years ago, and. I uh, I played more than I would like to admit for a game where you're just clicking on things to make numbers go up. But that's basically distilled of like most games. And uh, I, I found myself enjoying that, but also being ashamed because <laughs> I'm like, this is this is uh, this is literally nothing. But look how
0: big the numbers got. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, Tanya, when it when it comes to RPG progression systems and games, What would you like to see moving forward? Like, how can the industry improve as they're continuing to either implement RPG systems in games or, like, how can they change the systems in the games to be better in the future in your eyes?
2: Ooh, that's a tall order. Um, Less grindy mechanics to, to level, maybe something where... I learned to play the game in these first one to three levels, but there's not the go find 10 toe of newt and fill 10 buckets and bring it across the game world for this farmer that apparently does nothing but wait on you to show up and fill these 10 buckets because i've seen that and and that's more in the mmo side because i get that a lot with some mmos i play and i'm just like did you just literally stand here and wait for someone to show up and go pick these mushrooms that are like 100 yards away for you when you (laughs) could have done it before i showed up here um So less grindy things and and things that give me more of a sense of accomplishment. And so things like the Witcher or things like uh, God of War, where a side mission has some relevance, where I just did a side mission even on post game, got this great armor and it's helping me with these Valkyrie fights versus I'm just going to go roam the world. And I did this side mission and oh, look, I got some money and it does nothing.
0: How about you Jared? What what can the industry do in the uh, in the future to improve the way that they implement RPG systems in your eyes? Uh similar
1: to like, what Tony was saying, I I I don't have the time or patience. I don't know if it's because like modern games have kind of gotten away from this or I am just getting older and more mature as a gamer, but like I don't have time or the patience for grindy stuff, you know. I I don't see my I couldn't see myself going back to Final Fantasy 11. And waiting for 15 minutes to get into a group and then finding our spot on the map where we're pulling one you know mob at a time for three hours to gain one level. That um, sounds like heaven to me. Yeah, and you're still super into that and I, I, I really love the time that I did I spent doing that, but I just I, it's not for me anymore. God of War really does some super cool things where they show you that care on the stick. They're like, look at uh, these abilities that you'll be able to get. And then they go further than that and surprise you with some more stuff. They they change up the gameplay. Uh, you, You go on side quests because they are, you know, exposing more things about your characters. You're learning more about the backstory and you're also getting better at the same time. You're getting better as a player and as a character. And I think that is like the smoothest way to handle it. Monster Hunter is a, while it's very well done, Monster Hunter world, I still am getting kind of burnt out on the grind stuff. So uh, no, there's
0: there's there's no reason for levels in Monster Hunter. Yeah, it's, it's all especially because the levels I don't even think affect character stats at all. It literally is just an expression of the amount of time you've put into that game. Everything is based on your gear. At least as far as I can tell, everything's just based on your gear. So
1: I'm also playing through. I haven't played it in a while because I started playing God of War, but Nino Kuni 2. Um, which is very much a Japanese RPG. I'm probably 20 hours into the game, and I'm not really sure how the progression works. It doesn't. It's not very forward with what's happening. Occasionally, I'll get a new weapon that kind of makes some fights easier, uh, but it's not clear to me that I'm getting more powerful, and I I don't see like what's coming down the road. So it's kind of hard for me to be excited about getting into combat in that game. I find myself trying to avoid it because it's kind of preventing me from getting to like the next story beat uh, or, or the, you know, the next area. So, uh, you know, it just seems a little antiquated doing it that way. But I think that there's still room for for growth in that
0: area. What about yeah, you? And Well, so I think one of the big areas that RPG systems can grow is pushing forward how the rpg system is defined like we we for so long have been tied to this dungeons and dragons idea of leveling up where there's you know a set you know set stats typically something like strength dexterity agility intelligence wisdom charisma whatever it is and we've been tied to this system for so long what i would like to see is finding a new way to represent character growth through an rpg system but but in in new ways of representing character growth if that makes sense. Um I mean something that just sort of jumps to my mind real quickly is like how do you how do you represent a growth in character empathy? You know, might might be an interesting way. And maybe it's because video games so much are based on physical violence and not, you know, again, like I I feel like every time I kind of go down this road I have to say I'm, I'm not against, you know, violence in video games. That's not what I'm doing here. But I feel like because so many games are rooted in overpowering an enemy that we are tied to, we're so like strongly tied to these systems that once we start to think about games in a different way, that's not just about like, how do I dominate an enemy? We can start to experience new avenues that these that these old systems could make way to. So I don't know what that looks like. I, right now I'm just kind of like, spitball and I had to come up with something on the spot and this is, (laughs) this is what I've got. But I think there's something to it, right? Like maybe an example of that is sort of modern RPGs, like
1: trying to think of like a good, you know, like fallout four has this divinity original sin has this where the more points you put into a certain skill, like charisma or strength that gives you different dialogue options. And if you have high enough levels in those stats, you can straight up avoid entire bosses because you've like talked to them down from, you know, whatever they're about to do or uh, you've you've subverted the the disaster that was going to come through through like diplomacy. So, I think maybe that's kind of close, but it would be it'd be cool to see that done more gracefully.
0: I feel yeah, I feel like that's kind of a half step in the direction that I'm talking about. Yeah. And like the full step would be this sort of fundamental reimagining of what a video game is. But that's you know, it doesn't let's ha- get right on that. Well, yeah. <laughs> tell tell Silicon Valley to get on that, Jared. I don't know that it happens overnight, right? Like it's something that happens over time, and maybe something like uh virtual reality, you know, which which has already proven to have pretty significant impacts on the way that players interact with one another and interact with NPCs. Maybe that's the space where we see these like bigger shifts in the way that games are designed, but I don't know. That's just that, you know, sort of my, my quick thought. And then uh if if people have any thoughts of their own on maybe how to expand that idea or if people want to tell me I'm wrong, they can <laughs> they can write in and let us know. And this is an excellent time to move on to our uh listener feedback. So if people have any questions or comments about leveling up or any of our previous topics, you can always email us at podcast at gbfeature.com or connect with us at gbfeature on Twitter. Jared, what do we got today?
1: Yeah, I've, we get kind of a, a, a... A good piece of feedback here from Josh F. on Facebook. Josh F. on Facebook says, Hey, guys, great episode. I have a game I try to play through once a year that ties into your last episode on shops in video games. And one of my earlier favorites uh, from you guys was difficulty in games. He says, uh, Square's approach to shops in Kingdom Hearts is pretty standard and basic. Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Man a 24-7 shop where you can buy potions and magic, regen items in exchange for money that drops from fighting enemies. My first playthrough on the normal setting found me with tens of thousands of unused money by the end of the game, which, as you pointed out, makes you wonder why the shops even exist. However, when I played through the game again, I played on expert difficulty, and in addition to a more challenging enemy, the cost of essential items are doubled, and the game introduces enemies that can actually attack your money supply. I found this element of using the economy of the game as a difficulty multiplier to be really fun and challenging as you need to make decisions about when to throw that potion. And actually I frequently begin to spite Donald's greedy little nephew bastards for their cost surge. Uh, it changed the whole game for me. And I like to see more games use shops in a way that impacts the game like this. That's, that's a really good point. I I, I do. Yeah. I, we, cause we brought that up is like, man, like if, if, you don't ever need to spend your money. Like, why have an economy
0: at all? Were you a uh, Kingdom Hearts fan, Tanya?
2: <laughs> a little bit. I've actually still got the original uh, disc sitting around here somewhere. Um, but I got frustrated because there were just points where I'm like, why am I doing this? Why is this necessary? And it was. It just felt like there was... Here's the game we wanted to make and we threw in Disney characters, but these mechanics don't quite work. And it just... it. It never gelled for me. I got hmm. to a certain point, got frustrated, and was like, I'm done. Now, do I- you ever
0: do you ever play any games like that have shops and finish the game with like way too much money and and then wonder like why the shop was there?
2: Oh my god, yes. Um, most RPGs that I play, I think right now in God of War, I probably have I have not sold a single thing and if I do, I will probably have all the money I ever need and no armor. <laughs>
0: does that ever does that ever bump you? Do you ever I mean, not that you would stop playing a game because of it, but it, does it ever start to feel, like, gamey in a way that, that shops are designed that way, typically?
2: Um, it is, and especially for me, shops are a bigger thing in MMOs, where it's like, do I try to craft a thing? Do I try to buy it? Do I wind up with, like, 50 of this copper ore? And I, the game never explained what i do with this copper ore. I sell it, and then, oh, by the way, you need it for this super weapon, like, 10 levels later. Oh, darn, you sold oh, all that the ore. that's the worst. And you're like really why didn't you tell me I needed this ore I would have put it in the bank or saved it or something. Um, So when games don't do a very good job of explaining yeah we know you found like this silver ore this copper ore this random weapon and it doesn't seem like there's any purpose for it but if you sell it you might want to think about it because unless it's like a super key item to the plot games don't usually discourage you from selling things and then you wind up Crap, I sold this item that I needed 20 levels ago and three saves ago. What do I do?
1: Yeah. I've kind of seen a trend in some games lately where it'll say in the item description, "It's like, this This is just for selling. Like, you can sell this. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I appreciate that. In Nino too. 2, there's items that you can pick up in the world. And in, in, in that game, items are just represented by sparkles on the ground, kind of like uh, Monster Hunter. So you don't really know what you're picking up until you pick it up uh and there's this oh, item in the game you picked just, up a desk yeah no it's just like pebbles it's <laughs> the thing that you pick up all over Ninu Kuni too. and you go into the description and it says this is just a pebble there's nothing like they're they are useless i'm like well okay i have like a hundred of these i guess i could just sell them uh but then i googled it because i was like nah, this is bullshit these things are everywhere um and it turns out like later in the game you can trade those for like important items And i'm like why like why would you like tell me that like like not introduce this mechanic until halfway through the game it just seems like super strange to me and i
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) so uh not so into it yeah the way that shops are handled in the more difficult version or the uh, more difficult playthroughs of kingdom hearts actually sounds really exciting i think um i think when we had jared huntley on the show we were talking about Uh, Mini maps and I'd said like Call of Duty I thought was a really good example of how to use a mini map because it found a way to take something that's sort of just like this standard element of game design and make it part of the gameplay and this the the way that it's implemented here in Kingdom Hearts seems really cool because they've they've taken shops and made them you know by having enemies that can actually attack your you know your economy they've kind of made shops a little bit more part of the, the way that the game plays. So that, that seems really neat to me. So I really appreciate this uh, feedback from Josh. It was uh, a really good thought. I'm glad, he, I'm glad he brought it up.
1: The The Witcher 2 did something similar. If you played Witcher 2 on easier difficulties, you could kind of just get by by hacking and slashing everything. Uh, it wasn't super fun, but if you upped the difficulty to, you know, like hard or like the most difficult one, you would have to spend a lot of time crafting and using traps and bombs and once i started doing that the game really like the combat was a lot more interesting um but it did like it took time you had to want to engage with that combat and i could see that if you were at the lower difficulties uh, and you're just like well no i don't want to make this any harder because it just wasn't fun uh and that did kind of affect like the things that you you had to spend money to you know get the get some of the the items that you needed to craft those those things so it kind of introduced a new mechanic in a similar way right on what else we got we got something from at rady sean on twitter steve i'll let you take this one because i know that you're you're very partial to this quote
0: no uh he just said the resident evil guy what you buying (laughs) short and sweet (laughs) i like it that's all it said thanks thanks rady sean um that that was kind of an iconic a shopkeeper that guy which i I guess
1: we found We found out, or maybe I heard this on a different podcast, you can kill that guy, apparently. What? I think he might show up, like, if you kill him in one area, he might show up again later in another area,
0: but... uh, As a zombie? I I don't know. I don't know. Well, missed opportunity if he's not. Right? (laughs) All right, cool. Well, um, thank you, Rady Sean, and thank you, uh, Josh F., for all the feedback. Please, keep sending it in to us. Again, you can send us your own emails at podcast at gbfeature.com or reach out to us at gbfeature on Twitter. Let us know what you think. We we love hearing all the feedback, long and short. And, uh, well, I guess that's going to do it for this episode. Before we get out of here, I have to thank our guest, Tanya DePass. Tanya, thank you so much for doing this. People may not know this, but we had to uh, reschedule this episode because I was so sick when we had originally scheduled it, and you were so kind and very easygoing in, in um, rescheduling with us, and I, I really appreciate that.
2: Oh, no problem. It, it's fun to talk with you all, and it's fun to go on other podcasts because... You never know what you get a chance to talk about, and we're, we're kind of focused, and this is stuff that I get to be nerdy about that I don't get to be nerdy about elsewhere.
0: Well, I mean, anytime you want to come back and be nerdy with us, <laughs> you, it's an open invitation. I wasn't lying when I said you're one of my favorite people uh, in, the, in the video game space, so we, uh, we appreciate having you here, and it was, I mean, it was awesome to meet you in person and, and see you out there working your butt off. Holy cow. Where can, where can people uh, find your work?
2: Um, so you can more than likely find me on Twitter at ciphertier which is C Y P H E R O um, F T Y R and then for I need diverse game stuff it is i need d i b g m s and our website is i need net, and I'm going to be that person that's like hey if you like what I do Give us money because money means we can actually keep doing the stuff that we do. No, I'll, includes... I'll echo that.
0: Go, go, go! Give money.
2: <laughs> yes, um, but you know, people always ask us to come to conventions and things like that. And hey, if I don't have money, I can't do that or send people to conventions. So, um, I need diverse games is on Patreon, which is Patreon.com/backslash. I need divgms, or you can just drop us money via PayPal to our email at indg at I need diverse games. Dot org and lastly we just became a Tee Public partner and our spiffy lovely new logo done by captain Toise is on all our merch over at Tee Public. so if you go to Tee Public and search for i need diverse games you'll find our shop it's an awesome logo by the
0: way yeah and and thank you for putting a shirt on my back tanya
2: <laughs> you're very welcome
0: <laughs> also um, you can uh, get game devs and other
1: tales from the margins uh releasing june 11th right
2: yes awesome. um and if you go to twitter my pin suite has all the info i would greatly greatly appreciate it if people Uh, shared that tweet and if you order it and like it please tell me so maybe we can do a similar book or a volume two because there are a lot of great stories i had to sadly turn down uh, because of length limits or other reasons but i would love to do this again and
0: because our our listeners never get tired to hear me say go listen to spawn on me live on thursday nights and out on itunes and other podcast catchers on tuesdays correct
2: correct so uh today we're recording this on a thursday We'll be uh, recording live tonight, and then we'll be at E3. So let's see what happens. Good
0: luck, (laughs) Honestly, good luck out there. I I hope you guys have a lot of fun and get a lot of really great content. I'm excited to hear what you come back with.
2: I am too. I just hope that a week or a weekend in LA after just being in LA for a different event does not kill me.
0: Don't
1: drive if you don't have to.
2: Yeah. Oh, God, no. I learned that lesson the hard way years ago. <laughs> no, I just was like, mm, traffic. I always thought movies exaggerated. Nope. No. Mm-mm.
0: If anything, they under exaggerate. Is that a thing? I don't know if you can under exaggerate anything. Underemphasize? Underemphasize? Sure, we'll go with that. All right. Well, again, Tanya, thank you so much for being here. As a reminder, we release new episodes of this podcast every two weeks. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything. If you like what we do and want to help us out, head over to iTunes and give us a review. I want to thank Kyle Clark for making our theme song. You can check out his podcast. This is Rad on iTunes. I'm Stephen Bennett. That's at Steven underscore the gamer on Twitter, and I'm at Jared Bruner. We want to thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to us chat about video games. This has been great. Oh my gosh, Jared! I've done gra- this breaking am- feature. Brain, uh, you heard it. Brain breaking <laughs> feature. Gra- gra- grain, grain breakers, where we talk all about milk. (laughs) there we go Um, this has been game breaking feature remember it's okay to disagree just don't be a dick about it alright thank you guys thank you